2016 was a year filled with a roller coaster of emotions in the world of pop culture. For starters, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series after more than 100 years. It was a very emotional moment for me as I have been a lifelong Cubs fan. My sister was living in Chicago at the time, just a short distance from Wrigley Field. I remember her telling me she could hear fans for blocks and blocks cheering and screaming after they won. I actually cried when they won. I had stayed up very late each night of the World Series just to watch the games. George Michael and Carrie Fisher passed away that year. We also lost the brilliance of Prince and David Bowie. And finally, in what was probably the most emotionally charged moment of 2016, the world saw the end of... God, it's so hard to get this out. The VCR stopped being manufactured, okay? Okay, it's out there. Thinkprogress.org wrote a beautiful obituary that said, The video cassette recorder, a piece of technology already so obsolete you would be forgiven for not realizing it hadn't died long ago, finally kicked it for good last Thursday when Funai Corporation of Japan, the last known VCR manufacturer on the face of the earth, announced it would cease production by the end of July. According to the New York Times, a company spokesperson said Funai will keep on selling VCRs through its subsidiary until inventory runs out and will provide maintenance services as long as it can. The VCR is survived by the technologies that fueled its demise, which rule for now, the DVD, the foreseeable future, the DVR, streaming video, and probably forever, piracy. It was 60 years old. End quote. The VCR or video cassette recorder was found in homes all over the world beginning in the late 1970s and into the early 2000s. What began as a way to record audio and then video in the 1950s evolved into the home video systems that launched movie nights and video rentals all across the country. One of my favorite pastimes from my childhood was certainly watching movies on our VHS player, especially with my sister. With that being said, on today's show, you will learn all about the VCR. From the early days when purchasing one could set you back a cool $50,000 to Bing Crosby's involvement with getting this off of the ground to its unfortunate demise that I am still grappling with. So head to your local blockbuster. Oh, wait, you can't. They're all closed. Uh, Pop your popcorn and set your TV to channel three. Here we go. Hello, and thank you so very much for tuning into the Pop Culture Retrospective Podcast, a show inspired by and in memory of my big sister Rebecca and her love for all things pop culture, especially the people, places, and things of the 1980s, 1990s, and early 2000s. My name is Amy Lewis, and I'm your captain aboard this pop culture time machine. You are tuning into episode number 14, the VCR, a consumer electronics product that changed how we spent time in our family rooms for generations. But before we get into today's show, though, you may be asking yourself, Amy, what is a VCR? I'm a, you know, I'm a younger listener. What the heck is that? Well, in short, it is an electronic device that records video and audio on a video cassette, which is about the size of a paperback book that can be played back at any time. As we go through the show, you may hear me use the word VTRs, VHS players, or VCRs. 
Those are all sort of used interchangeably. The precursor to the VCR came in 1956 when the Ampex Corporation developed a VTR, video tape recorder, called the VRX-1000. It could record video and audio on magnetic tape. At a cost of over $50,000, it was incredibly expensive and was only purchased by television stations. Apparently, Bing Crosby advocated for the development of the reel-to-reel tape recorder and helical scan technology, which was the later inspiration for the VCR. In 1963, the UK Nottingham Value Company developed the first home video recorder. It was called the Telecan, or Television in a Can. It cost about $1,600 in today's money. So not only was it expensive, but it could only record for about 20 minutes at a time. It was also difficult to put together, so it didn't quite take off, but at least it was a start. In 1965, Sony created the CV2000. It used a reel-to-reel format like we just discussed, but it could only record in black and white. It was smaller in size and less expensive than its predecessor, so it generated a little bit of interest from consumers. The CV2000 would eventually evolve into what we once knew as the Betamax. RCA and Ampex later joined forces and developed their own VTR. At first, these VTRs were developed so that people could record TV at home. Soon, many companies began to flood the market and this started to create some competition. In 1970, Philips created a video cassette format made for a TV station, and it was made available for consumers in 1972. They named their format Video Cassette Recording. The tapes were square in shape and could record for about an hour. It was relatively expensive, though, so it didn't sell super well. In 1971, we saw some very significant events. The film Love Story, love means never having to say you're sorry, was released, and Walt Disney World opened, a.k.a. my church. In September of 1971, Sony created the U-Matic system, which was the world's first commercial videocassette format. It essentially looked like a larger version of the VHS tapes that we would eventually come to know. First, they could play for 60 minutes, then they could play for 80 minutes. That same year, engineers from JVC named Shizu Takano and Yuma Shiraishi put together a group of people to develop a VTR that could be marketed toward the average consumer. Some of their goals with the system were the picture quality had to be the same as off-air or off-broadcast quality, it needed to be able to hook up to most consumer-owned televisions, it should be able to connect to a camera or connect to another VTR for dubbing, the price should be affordable, and it should be easy to use easy to produce, and easy to fix. However, shortly after the planning stages began, JVC cut the project's budget and the VTR dream was put on hold. Shiraishi and Takano, though, along with a few people that were left from the development team, worked together in secret to create prototypes late into the night. The head of the Matsushita company, known as Panasonic in the United States, caught wind of this and saw the prototypes and immediately restored funding to this project. This was about 1973. Matsushita was a major stakeholder of the JVC company. However, before VHS could hit the market in 1972, Cartravision came onto the scene, and it was essentially an early version of the kind of TV-VCR combination, if you will. Welcome to the wonders of cartridge television. This is your new Sears Cartridge Television Center your own electronic miracle. 
that turns your home into a personal television theater. With a world of programming at your fingertips, captured on videotape and packaged in convenient, easy-to-use cartridges awaiting your selection, you can view what you want when you want it. The selection of subject matter is as broad as your imagination. Entertainment and education, music, the arts, and sports. It runs the gamut of your interests. In addition to being a fine color television set, the Sears Cartridge Television Center will replay pre-recorded programs, videotape television programs of your choice, even when you're not at home, and provide the facility for home taping your own shows. It cost about $1,300, and with this system, you could rent videos like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which could be ordered via catalog. It was then delivered to your house and would be mailed back after viewing. I wonder if Netflix got any inspiration from them. You could even purchase a camera to make your own home videos. If you stepped foot into a Montgomery Ward's, Sears, or Macy's in 1972 or 1973, you could purchase one but not for very long as production only lasted for about a year and a half. However, by the mid-1970s, there were only two companies on top, Sony with their Betamax system. To the top of the key, shoots, good! The pitch, a swing and a miss, strike three. Ever want to watch two things that are on at the same time? Well, now you can, because Sony's revolutionary Betamax deck, which hooks up to any TV set, can actually videotape something off one channel while you're watching another channel. With Sony's Betamax, you won't miss a thing. A triple play. You've just seen a triple play. No, I didn't. You don't see those very often. And JVC with their VHS system. Shh, you'll scare the fish. We're missing the big football Relax. game. Relax, my VHS home video recorder is taping it right now. Terrific. Watch. Terrific. But suppose it's over three hours. Relax. Panasonic VHS tapes up to four hours of sports, movie specials on one cassette. Wow. This VHS is for me. Caught the whole game. Best catch of the day. Yeah. VHS, the four-hour system from Panasonic and other leading companies. 1974 was then dubbed the Format Wars. The Japanese Ministry of Trade and Industry pushed for the video industry in Japan to utilize just one home video recording format. Sony was hoping that their system, Betamax, would be the one chosen. JVC made a crucial decision early on to keep the patent for their product open. As it would turn out, a lot of companies were interested in getting in on the emerging technology. Sony's patent was not open. This would prove to be a huge mistake as the Ministry of Trade in Japan decided to utilize both formats. In 1975, Betamax hit the Japanese market and JVC followed with releasing their VHS players there in 1976. The U.S. would first start to see VHS players in 1977 after JVC made an announcement at a trade show in Chicago. A company called the Magnetic Video Corporation started licensing movies that could be rented. It didn't quite take off as much as you'd think, likely because of the expense, but I think Blockbuster and Netflix can thank them for laying the groundwork for future business ventures in the video rental industry. But more on rentals a bit later. With more companies being able to produce VCRs, the costs went down and thus they became more and more popular. Families could now watch videos in their own homes. People could choose what to watch and when to watch it. Zenith was one of said companies who made a decision to get in on the VCR slash VHS craze. I am quite partial to Zenith because for many years we had a Zenith VCR 
And I had a TV VCR combo that my sister called the Van TV. That was a Zenith, which I believe I purchased at Radio Shack. And I had that for years. I took it with me to the Walt Disney World College program and also to college where I worked out to many a Tybo tape back in the day. Zenith is an electronics company that was originally operated in America based in the Chicagoland area. It was founded in 1918. It was the first company to develop a TV subscription service. They are also responsible for the first wireless remote control for TV, as well as one of the first companies to introduce digital HD TVs. VHS and Betamax were in constant competition with each other during the late 1970s and early to mid-1980s. At first, it seemed like Betamax may come out on top. Their tapes were smaller than VHS, and their video quality was allegedly better than that of VHS. However, because the tape was smaller, Betamax could only record for one hour of programming, whereas VHS could record up to two hours. Further, VHS players could rewind and fast-forward much faster than Betamax. I don't know if anybody out there had this, but I know growing up we were very worried that fast-forwarding and rewinding was going to damage our VCR, so we purchased a separate VHS rewind fast-forward machine. Times have changed so much and so quickly. And also, speaking of fast-forward and rewinding, I don't know if anyone else experienced this, but our living room was, of course, carpeted, royal blue to be exact, in the 80s and 90s. And whenever me or my sister hit play or rewind or fast forward on our VCR, we were hit with a, I guess, static shock that sort of looked like a small bolt of lightning that went from our finger to the VCR, which was always so annoying. So not having a remote and being irritated by the constant shock, my sister and I started using our toes to use the buttons. Very classy. But back to the 80s. In 1980, VHS had 60% of the market share in North America. It cost about $30 for a VHS movie, which was expensive for many families in the early 1980s. As a result, people started to record off of TV broadcasts. For example, if a movie aired on network television, it could be recorded and watched at a later time. I'm sure a lot of people rewatched over and over again the infamous 1985 Super Bowl when the Chicago Bears won. For my entire life, I've been a huge Walt Disney World fan, and anytime something aired on TV about Disney World, I would be sure to record it, whether it was a Christmas Day parade or an episode of a sitcom where the characters head to Disney World. I even got more skilled at quickly getting to the VCR and hitting pause whenever a commercial came on. Prior to the success of home video viewing, movies actually stayed at the theaters for extended periods of time. For example, Star Wars was in theaters for at least 18 months in some areas when it was released in the 70s. The VCR, however, would change all of that. By the late 1980s, it was clear that Betamax was on its way out. In addition to Sony keeping the patent to themselves, those greedy bastards, they also left out a few key features that VHS players had, including the infamous timer that I was never patient enough to figure out. If you had a VCR and wanted to record something while you were not at home, you could set a timer to record at a certain time of day for a certain length of time. So if you had to go to work and were going to miss an episode of, say, Cheers or Facts of Life, you could pre-program your VCR, record it, and watch it from the comfort of your plaid or floral couch or maybe even from your waterbed if you were a high roller. Pretty darn convenient, if I do say so myself. 
Sony was adamant that they didn't need timers, but that, again, was a big mistake. Further, a Betamax player was about $1,300. A high-end VCR was about the same price, but some lower-end models could be purchased for about $900. 1988 is a year that many people feel Beta died. Movie studios had stopped releasing movies on the format, and Sony started making VHS players. Talk about eating crow, Sony. Sony executives must have enjoyed feasting on some delicious humble pie. Just as VCRs and VHS really took off, the price of movies to watch at home started to become more affordable and thus more popular. Some of the most popular VHS movies of all time, as purchased in the United States, were The Lion King, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Aladdin, Titanic, which I believe was two VHS tapes because it was so long, I saw that movie in the theater twice and cried, but I digress. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, Independence Day, Jurassic Park, Toy Story, and Pocahontas. And just as soon as Beta was on its way out, the United States saw the peak of video rental stores. By some predictions, the U.S. had at least 25,000 video rental stores with another 45,000 businesses renting out videos from their stores, like grocery stores, gas stations, etc. Many video rental stores started to phase out beta rentals, which further led to the format's demise as they stuck to VHS. In the earlier days of video rental stores, you could also rent VCRs, later Laserdisc players, and some even did repairs on electronics. What started off as maybe just one store location ballooned into more locations all over the country. Some of those memorable chains included West Coast Video, 1983 to 2009, rest in peace. Blockbuster Video, 1984 to 2014, rest in peace. And Hollywood Video, 1988 to 2010, rest in peace. At one point in my hometown, on a stretch of a main road that that ran about a mile or two, we had four video rental stores. Video Villa and Shamrock Video. Shamrock Video was previously known as Pick-A-Flick, which is genius. Those were both independent stores, as well as Hollywood Video, which opened just a block or two down from Blockbuster. Drama! And in thinking back about those two stores being so close to each other, in my head I keep picturing Blockbuster employees meeting up with Hollywood Video employees for a fight in the parking lot, or maybe yelling something about getting off their turf if they ever stepped foot into the Arch Enemy store. But anyways, needless to say, on Friday nights we had many choices for places to rent movies. For so many Americans, a tradition on weekends, school vacations, etc., was to head to the local video store and rent a stack of videos. On weekends, there were often lines of people waiting to check out movies. Amazingly, despite all physical rental store chains and thousands and thousands of independent ones going by the wayside, Family Video, which is primarily based in the Midwest, aka Midbest, they are the sole remaining video rental chain in the United States today. Following the death of Beta, the VHS format had a solid run for about 10 to 15 years or so. VHS players were improved during that time, offering a more clear picture with newer versions. DVDs were introduced in 1997, and by 2002, DVD sales surpassed VHS sales, and it was all sort of downhill from there. 
And as we all remember, the quality of the picture and the sound improved significantly with DVDs, not to mention they take up so much less space. However, for those of us who grew up watching VHS tapes, recording excessive amounts of TV shows and movies on VHS tapes that our parents had to dig out of storage and subsequently take to the landfill, sorry mom, they will always hold a special place in our hearts. I hope you've enjoyed this look back on VHS and the VCR, an electronic device that forever changed the landscape of the American family room for generations. Some of my favorite childhood memories revolve around the multitude of movies and TV shows that my sister and I were able to watch as a result of my parents purchasing a VCR, which I imagine wasn't cheap. I can't count how many nights I stayed up late watching all the television appearances that NSYNC made, which I recorded on several VHS tapes. How many nights leading up to Christmas that me and my sister watched the Muppet Christmas Carol or the Santa Claus? They are etched in my brain and they will always be there. And sure, we can watch a lot of that now quite easily and in excellent quality via streaming services, but it's not the same as fast-forwarding with your right toe through the piracy warnings and opening credits. The struggle was real. If you are enjoying the Pop Culture Retrospective podcast, please consider subscribing on whichever podcast platform you use. Please also consider rating the show on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. It helps the show out a lot. Thank you so much for tuning in and for your support. Please tell your friends and family about the show. Recommending this podcast to people you care about would mean a lot, so please spread the word. Please feel free to contact me. My email address is popcultureretrospective at gmail.com, or you can tweet me. I'm at popcultureretro. I hope you'll join me for my next show, where we will be discussing the history of Disneyland. And I think that'll be one of a series of a couple of shows on Disneyland. Until then, be kind, be safe, and hold on to your memories.